This is the Data Privacy Detective, and today we're going to talk about how better to protect your personal data privacy. And we have with us today a great guest, Chris Weir. Uh, Chris, uh, based in Australia, today talking with us from Europe. Uh, Chris, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Now, Chris, you're the co-founder and the chief architect of Verita, an Australian uh, a company, uh, and th this arose out of your many years of experience uh, in the tech business, uh, where you've recognized that traditional software doesn't really handle very sensitive data in a way that protects our privacy that well. And you sort of set out to create a new architecture that we're going to talk about today. And Verita, I understand, is it, its objective is to solve the problem of how we manage our digital identity, uh, how we control our own data if we can, and and then how we interact with others on a on a privacy centric basis. Uh, that, is that a fair description of, of what the company's out to do? Yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's a we all live in such a a world dominated by digital technologies and systems, and um, I think it's incredibly important that we start to evolve to a model that you know, has a technology built in by design that protects our information and puts the user back in control of their digital world. Privacy by design, you certainly see that under GDPR in Europe, not so much in the United States, more, more of a free-for-all. Other countries want to control it, like China, you know, and so on. But but it's also a decentralized world. And we, we talk now about Web 3.0. And what's Web 3.0? Yeah, so... Um, Web 3.0 is, I guess, the concept that we've had these distinct stages of the internet. Um, the first phase, Web 1, commonly referred to, is where people were just viewing the internet. You know, we were browsing web pages and surfing the internet. Um, web 2 is loosely framed as a read-write version of the web, where we had the introduction of social media and blogs and platforms where people could create content. And so people were consuming and creating content. Web3 is saying, hey, look, we can read and write on the web, but what if we could own it? What if we could all have a piece of this web? And instead of having these centralized platforms and companies that own all of these big uh, platforms, what if we all could own parts of that? And, and that's where blockchain um, technology has come in and enabled that type of, of future. So we're in the early stages of this sort of Web3 concept, but yeah, fundamentally, it's, it's read, write and own from the community. Right, and we've certainly seen the law take various directions on this. The original Facebook uh, terms and conditions said they owned the copyright anything you posted there. That was sort of the Web 2.0 you're talking about. Well, it's a new world, isn't it? Uh, we've, uh, it is, and, and just quickly on that, you mentioned um, GDPR and you know the concept of privacy by design. I think there's a really clear distinction that needs to be made between legal you know, regulations and laws that, I guess, enforce your privacy as distinct from technology that enforces your privacy. Um, you know, technology, you know, if it's enforcing technology, um, unless there's a problem with the technology, it's it's quite, um, it's, it's very robust. Whereas when it's a regulatory uh, protection, you know, there's always ways that companies find to, to get around that. Well, just the way in manufacturing, we move from a data workers getting injured on the job to product liability and, and safety by design in, in machines. Why not for data? So good point. Well, let exactly. me ask you this, Chris. What, what is self-sovereign identity? So the concept of self-sovereign identity is that 
as an individual, I have complete uh, ownership and control over that identity. So if you think of Facebook, um, Facebook controls your Facebook identity. You know, you have to sign in with a username and password um, and all of your information, your Facebook ID is all stored on Facebook servers. And at any point in time, they can change your information. They could disable you from your account, um, you know, delete you, uh, delete that Facebook account. So it's controlled by a third party. And self-sovereignty is the the opposite of that. It's the concept that I have complete control to create and delete uh, an identity in such a way that there's no centralized authority that can can change that. Um, and blockchain has been one of the common ways to enable this type of self-sovereign identity. Well, you even see that today in the uh, actors' union uh, potential strike against uh, you know saying, "Wait a minute, uh, we, we we should control our image, <laughs> not somebody else." So that's that's what we're talking about. Well, how's how secure would self-sovereign identity be? After all, we've we've shared, uh, all of us have shared our personal data uh, with thousands probably, of, you know, for anything from our health provider to friends to posting on social media. How secure would that be? Self-sovereign identity, if it's, um, there's actually some standards, some technology standards that exist, such as um, the decentralized identifier, the DIGCORE standard, which is actually a, a worldwide web working group. And um, there are some very specific uh, technical guidelines in terms of how it should work, uh, which obviously helps shape that um, technical enforcement um, of privacy. But fundamentally, um, the, you know, the difference, you know, keeping with the Facebook analogy is your privacy and security is governed entirely by Facebook because all your data is there and your identity is managed by Facebook. In a self-sovereign world, you create on your own local device, whether it's a computer or a mobile phone, you create a, a private secret key and the only you can know that. And that key is what's used to actually create and publish an identity that's anonymous by default. It's normally a very long string of, of letters and numbers. A little bit and like so, VPN, perhaps? Is that sort of the idea? That, um, it's a little, a little bit like bit. a... It's a little bit like a blockchain wallet. Think of it like a blockchain address. Yeah, yeah we need and, to think blockchain is what you're saying. This is really a different uh, way of thinking about uh, data and how it's kept and stored. Exactly. So, yeah, it, actually, it's probably important to clarify that you can have self-sovereign identity as one piece of the puzzle, but then how that identity controls and manages its data, that's actually, I guess, another problem space in a way. At Verita, we're tackling both because they're so interlinked. But from an identity perspective, at the end of the day, you have a secret on your device and that's what manages that identity. And so going back to your question about the security, um, it's effectively, it's as secure as um, you securing that key. So, you know, if you go and put your secret key on a piece of paper and give it to someone, that's not very secure. But if you keep it on your device and, and never let anybody access your device, it's it's very secure. Well, this gets us to... Uh zero knowledge credentials that's really what you're talking about isn't it say more about that yeah so zero knowledge credentials is one it's almost like an uh, a supplementary type of protocol and communication that exists on top of self-sovereign identity and on top of self-sovereign data storage the simplest way to think about it is um imagine if i was to go to the passport office in my local country and um I was to be issued a digital passport, I could get a, a passport issued to me that is completely digital, signed by the government and can be trusted, you know, with a, a key that everybody understands is the government. 
and I'd have this piece of data on my phone. It would have my date of birth, it would have my place of uh, residence, uh, my full name, et cetera, et cetera. Now, if I wanted to then go and prove to somebody that I was an Australian resident, I've got two options. One, I could share that full piece of data so that I could share that with someone and they could look at that and go, okay, this is Chris, this is where he lives, this is his date of birth, et cetera, et cetera. That's a traditional credential. A zero-knowledge credential is different in that you can create a cryptographic proof that proves that you hold a piece of information that's trusted without disclosing the information. So the simple example there is I can generate a mathematical proof if I was to visit a website where I could prove that I'm over 21 years of age without disclosing any of the information in my passport or, and without disclosing my actual date of birth. Right. Now, this would be much more private. For example, in the United States, people often give their social security number to prove their... Well, that's kind of silly to have a social security number being shared with a third party, which leads to all kinds of identity theft. But you're saying in this example, I could prove I'm really me uh, in a different way through this, uh, the, the key process. Well, you could, yeah, you could prove that you really are who you say you are, but you could actually, if you take the concept further, you could actually prove something about yourself without even proving who you are. So, for instance, you know, if you're going to rent a car, you know, perhaps you could prove that you have a, a license, you hold a valid license that can allow you to drive a car of a particular type, um, you know, or maybe a heavy, heavy truck, and that you are over 25 years of age, so you get a discount on the insurance, but not disclose any other information about your driver's license. So you can be much you actually more start selective. To- it's what an owner has with an owner's property. And here we're talking about digital property and how that's what the meaning will really be over the over years. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we can move the conversation from proving my identity to actually proving something about my identity. And I think that's so, going to be a really powerful privacy shift. And Verita, for example, offers the Verita wallet. What is that? Yeah. So when we started Verita, we, um, we actually started thinking about all these pieces of technology and how they were going to work. And the concept of ownership, digital ownership, you know, blockchain has really led the way with that recently. And the concept of a blockchain or crypto wallet, um, you know, has all of these pieces of the puzzle where, you know, you have a private key that unlocks your, you know, cryptocurrencies or digital assets. You can transfer tokens by signing something using your private key. And we realized that what we needed to do is actually think of that as like the first version of this self-sovereign concept where uh, a blockchain wallet is really a self-sovereign wallet but it can only do crypto asset. And we need to think about, well, we need to create an interface. We need to create a wallet that extends that idea, but incorporates a decentralized identity, incorporates a decentralized data storage, uh, incorporates robust privacy and consent around sharing of your data and information, which incorporates things like zero knowledge proofs. So we built this new type of wallet, which uh, was the, is the user interface for people to interact with this sort of new emerging identity data and self-sovereign space. Very, very interesting. Well, let me turn to what, one last question. This is a great topic. Maybe we'll get back together in six months and uh, discuss uh, more details. But we're in the AI world, aren't we? With governments, uh, people, everybody figuring out, even tech giants saying, wait a minute, we need to pause on this. AI may go too far. So, uh, you know, how, how, does, how could personal data... Uh, unlock uh, digital assistance uh, in the the world of AI. How how does that work? Talk to us about it. 
Well, this is where I think it gets really interesting and where the rubber hits the road. So at the moment, you know, you and I, we probably have hundreds of different centralised systems and platforms that we log into that have information, have our information, whether that's, you know, banks and insurance companies, healthcare, you know, different email providers, um, et cetera. So our our data is, our identity is fragmented, but also all of our data is fragmented. In this new world, ultimately the objective is that that data that's in all these other systems can come back and belong to me. And if I have access to all of my data, it's possible to start thinking of training an AI model over all of my personal data. And you can now see a future where we have, you know, a chatbot or a digital assistant that is effectively sitting side by side with us as we go through life that knows everything about us and can support us, you know, and that could be things like, you know, as simple as, you know, you're trying to uh, find a receipt of something you purchased five years ago and you can ask your digital assistant and it will basically find that uh, immediately for you. It could be asking a question of how much tax do you think I'm going to pay this year? And it can work that out based on all of your emails and financial information, or it could be, hey, I'm trying to get a promotion at work, like, you know, help me do this. And it will start to suggest you events in your local area that you could go and attend, you know, people that perhaps you should connect with on LinkedIn based on what you're trying to achieve. So really thinking about, um, you know, extending the way that we use our digital uh, world today and make it really work for us and bring benefit to us. I think that's a really exciting and positive use of AI that can be unlocked here. Fascinating stuff. Chris, any last uh, words for our listeners today? Um, I, my only last word would be to say, if this is something that you're interested in, um, we're really early. There's a lot of huge opportunities here to innovate from a technology side, to build new products and services You know, on the, on the business side. Um, I really encourage people, if they are interested in this, just do some digging, start doing some research and learn more about this because I firmly believe this is going to be an incredibly transformative um, evolution of, of technology and empowering people. So feel free to come and learn about what we're doing at Verita or just more generally have a more uh, investigation of self-sovereign identity and data. Well, and this is certainly happening with blockchain. Blockchain is just a way of thinking, really. It's not crypto. Crypto is a particular use of blockchain. Exactly. Blockchain's been around for a very long time in manufacturing efficiency and many other areas. And, and you're pointing out to us today how important it is to start applying it to protecting our own personal data and our own digital identity. Well, Chris, thank you exactly. for taking us on a marvelous tour and for tuning in from Europe uh, through Australia. Uh, great thanks. And I'll remind our listeners as I close every segment, protecting your personal data begins with you.